and welcome to Book Club. We are over the moon to be joined today by the British ad man, Mark Denton. Mark will be answering our questions about his wondrous book, Unleash the Power of Purility, a call to arms for creativity at all costs. Mark won't mind me telling you that he has worked in the advertising industry now for 40 years and that he got into the business because he used to enjoy watching his mum laugh at the funny ads on the telly. At the beginning of his career, he would feel physical pain when clients rejected his ideas. This determination to do good work has made him one of our most decorated and loved creatives. And what does he do with all those awards? He chucks them in the bin. Mark Denton, welcome to Book Club. Oh, well, thank you. What, a, what an intro. Now, um, welcome to, to our readers who have joined us today to ask Mark their questions about Unleash the Power of Purility. And welcome to, to those of you who are watching us live online. Mark would also love to hear your questions. Mark, uh, my first question to you is this. Did your ads also make your mum laugh? That's a bloody good question. Of course, if she'd seen him on the telly, um, see, I was, I was doing making adverts after I've left home. If she'd seen him on the telly, how would I know if she'd laughed or not? She, she, did, she didn't give much away to me. I'd have to catch her in the act of laughing. It would be if I went uh, back on a weekend to take me washing home and have me Sunday dinner. She wouldn't say I saw a smashing ad over the weekend. I think it was one of yours. She'd be more likely to keep it to herself. I'd have to catch her in the act. I'd like to think so, though. She was a private. Do what? She was a private lady. Well, it's not so much that. I think she. Um, I think she. Uh, I don't know what school it is, but uh, she was more. Uh, the encouragement was dealt out by giving me a kick up the arse rather than a pat on the head. So. She wouldn't really let me know if she liked something or not. And I can't ask her now because she's not around anymore. Tell me, um, why have you chucked all your advertising awards in the bin? You know, for no other reason that they are dust gatherers. Um, keep tripping over them. They're not, they're not particularly pretty. I don't know if you noticed. Uh, you look at something like a can lion, for instance. I just plucked that out of the air. Can lion. Don't look, it doesn't look like it's been designed by anyone in our business. There's no art director looked at it. Who's the designer who did that? It looks like it's been put together by a blacksmith. It's not exactly an elegant, beautiful thing. Even the pencils are a little bit of a, it's a lump of wood. So uh, they're not particularly beautiful things. I've got to a stage in my career where I'm not going to get a pay rise if I win an award or show them off. Um, so they kind of get in the way a bit. Not knocking the concept of a wall, so I just personally, I'd rather save the money I, I, I used to enter awards with and spend it on making creative stuff. Okay, let's go to our first question from my colleague Nat at Silence Media. Yep, hi Dave. Um... Uh, when you say that by clients rejecting your ideas, it causes you physical pain, did this pain lessen over the years when you started to pursue them yourself or did clients just stop rejecting them once you built up your reputation? No, the pain never stops. Um, 
and I think I started doing my I started doing my own projects just because I was the boss. And believe me, I'm probably the toughest client I've ever worked for insofar as I turn most of my ideas down. There's only about one in a hundred that actually make it. Um, so I reject a lot of stuff before I make things. But when a client turns stuff down, especially if you think it's a really good idea, it hurts. And so um, it doesn't matter how long you've been in the business, how many awards you've won. Um, sometimes clients are not so interested in your experience. They want what they want. Um, given that, I've worked with loads of great clients. You don't notice it when it goes well. You know, I've, I've had loads of great uh, ads made um, by great clients. Don't notice that. You only get the pain when they turn them down. Mark, Dave dies here. Oh, good. I said we'll see him about this time next week. Dave, do you want to ask uh, Mark your first question? Um, hey, Mark. Oh, it's good, isn't it? It this is good. Modern technology. Well, sadly, I had a whole bunch of very pure old questions and a very serious questions were, were uh, put forward. So it's one of the more serious ones. Well, you know, you, I bet you could just sneak in a pure old one if you like. Well, I don't know. I think I might I be... Don't tell anyone I told you that. Uh, so here, this makes me sound like John Maynard Keynes or whatever. So is purility good for a good business tool? See, it's tied into the brief. That is sensible, isn't it? I'm very, yeah. I've got some This is the way to judge it. Uh, I don't know if you were told this, but I know you're a little bit younger than me. And these these pictures are on the internet that we're looking at now, you can't really tell. I know I look younger, but you are quite a bit younger than me. And... Um, uh, when I started off in the business, I was told by my first boss, advertising, young man's business. Now, Lee, when he did the introduction, fantastic introduction, he said, you've been doing it 40 years. I've been doing it 45 years next year, 45 years. So um, is it a good business tool? It's kept me working for 45 years. And... I can't see the end of the conveyor belt yet. So from a business point of view, that is making enough money to buy some food every now and then, it's worked. What about if you're a big business and you've got purity on one side and very sensible seriousness on the other? What well, would you look, here, look, everyone's into causes at the moment. They're very popular causes, aren't they? Mm. You know, so... Uh, uh, even big brands, they jump, they're jumping on causes left, right and centre. And the thing I'd say is um, you take a really good cause, very, very successful charity, Comic Relief. Every year, Red Nose Day, Comic Relief, you take the comic away and just have relief. Yeah. Yeah, someone, they have a meeting, they say, look, this, we're being a bit flippant, aren't we? This, this is serious stuff, we're feeding the world starving people, um, let's lose the comic bit. So they have a programme every year called Relief. Who's going to tune in? Would they make the squillions of pounds that they make? I don't think so. No. I can't, I can't see it personally. So when the clients have got this very worthy cause that they want to attach themselves to, hopefully it's, a, it's one that's relevant to their brand. That's what I suggest to start off with. 
I'd say try to be entertaining. Comedy is very entertaining. There's other forms of entertainment, obviously. But try to be entertaining. Don't be too serious. What do you reckon? That's the thing. Good answer. Good answer. Comic yeah. really fits. Very good. Yeah. Thank you, Mark. Um, now, Emma Nichols from WPR, she wants to ask you about why you chose a monkey. Well, okay. Yeah, hi, Mark. Uh, what, but what particular thing? You know, well, I might have a pet monkey at home who makes me tea. You, you know, what, what do you mean why I chose a monkey? That's absolutely my question, really. So um, I was inspired by the section of the book where you talked about choosing a monkey as part of the therapy sort of branding. Oh, right, okay. Yeah. And um, kind of what this, this um, question, first of all, do we expect too much from the consumer? Um, as in, you know, will they really read into the choice of animal or the choice of colour scheme that we've chosen as much as a creative or an, or an advertiser might do? And does everything really need to have that backstory? Um, particularly, you know, choosing a monkey because you like it. Oh. And second to that, what advice do you have for agencies who go into client meetings and have to pitch this kind of activity to them? And when that client says, okay, what's the meaning behind that? Why is that there? You know, how, how do we say to them, because we like it? Uh, do you know, I can't think of a better way of saying because we like it than because we like it. <laughs> you know, that's, uh, there's another chapter. I've read the book. It's quite good. Um, <laughs> I've read the book. Um, I'm sure there's another chapter in there about not thinking too hard. And um why does there have to be a mean, meaning beyond that you like monkeys? Obviously, you do a little bit of research. You see if your target audience shares the same love of monkeys. If I yeah, save your money on the research, I reckon most people like monkeys. I'm putting it out there. You don't have to have a research group telling you whether they're popular or not. Most people like monkeys. I chose a monkey for therapy because it made me smile. I could, you know... For people who haven't read the book, it happened to be a chimpanzee. And uh, before anyone sensible out there says, yeah, but your chimpanzee, that is not a monkey. That is a great ape. I don't even think about it that hard. I call it a monkey. So chimpanzee wearing a, a Napoleon's hat because a Napoleon's hat means you're mad. Therapy films. Monkey wearing a Napoleon's hat because wouldn't it be more interesting to see a monkey wearing a Napoleon's hat than just a bloke or a lady, being modern, wearing a Napoleon's hat? Monkeys are funnier. The end. Yep. That's it. That's it. That's it. That's it. You don't need a, you don't need any deep thinking or any more. I've used monkeys twice actually. I use one for. Uh, I don't think this is in the book. I might. I might put it in the book. The picture is not in the book. Um, I had a design company once and I thought, well, okay, I only want to attract the kind of clients that will buy into my kind of thinking. So I chose a stock shot of a baboon bearing its arse. And underneath, very, very discreetly, I put the symbol of quality. So it was designed to turn off a lot of clients and, and it worked. It works. So monkeys, nine times out of ten, you're on to a winner. <laughs> Amazing. That answers the question. Too hard. Yeah. You, know, you really don't, you, you know, 
it's tough selling idea. See, unfortunately, most clients they want a logical reason why you suggest something. Absolutely. And you know, there there ain't sometimes there ain't a logical reason apart from this is going to be very popular. Emma, that was a great question. Thank you. Rakeem Russell from Lucky Generals. Rack, you want to know about the consequences of daft ideas? Yeah. Hi, Mark. Um, oh, yeah. You spoke a lot about having daft ideas and some of your best ideas being your daft ideas. Uh, what I want to know is what one of your daft ideas landed you in the most trouble, if any? Well, maybe a good question. Bloody good question. Because... Uh, Comedy is deemed to be a bit dangerous nowadays. You know, I don't know. If you, I don't know. Well, I don't know if you noticed that the best comedy sometimes might might upset some people. The very best comedy, and um, everyone's adverse to upsetting anybody now. So the safest thing to do is not be funny at all. Then you can't get yourself in trouble. So, you know, take a classic gag. Someone slips on a banana skin. Someone's going to get upset somewhere. Cruelty to bananas. You know, it's dangerous now. If I think, if I think about something genuinely, genuinely stupid that I've done in the past, and generally it's not just stupid because it's stupid. It's, you know, I like putting stuff out in the world that is going to cause a ripple and make other things happen. Um, like adverts used to do. We used to put adverts out and then someone would go and buy a tin of baked beans. That, that's how they used to work. But I like stuff going out into the world that causes a bit of a stir. And if you, find, if you look at what people, the punters, actually pass around for entertainment, so people send their mum a video of a cat playing the piano. They don't generally send, here, I've just come across Einstein's Un undiscovered theory are you interested in this not a lot of laughs in that so uh, punters do like being done if you know if you're having a laugh with your mates i bet nine times out of ten you're not talking about anything too highbrow definitely not yeah well you are punters ordinary people people outside of advertising like doing and saying and seeing other people say childish things. Because you never grow out of that schoolboy or schoolgirl humour. I don't think so. You know, Will Farrell, he's done quite well over the years, hasn't he? Ricky Gervais, quite popular. Rack, do you um, do you ever look to use humour in your creatives? Yeah, all the time. But it's, it's, it's strange because... If my way I when I work, I always try and put humor in it everywhere. But if someone gives me a bad kind of review early, that always puts it down. So I basically try and start doing this thing where I kind of shielding my work a little bit and not showing it till it's, till, till it's done, kind of thing. So yeah, and that's it. That that I put it out, and that's just is it. Because if I feel like if I kind of show the process, I'm always um, kind of turned off by people not finding it funny or not getting it quite. So yeah, I, I do, but. Or, you know, it may mean, may not just be the not getting it, but it is, it is dangerous to be funny nowadays. And I don't mean that, you know, 
dangerous. I mean, it's a strong word, but it's it's a bit risky. And it seems like the industry is just a little bit risk averse. Uh, and going back to an earlier question, I don't think I've ever got in trouble, not in a way that it's killed my career. Here I am, nearly 45 years later. I'm yeah. still working. It hasn't put anyone off. So I'd say dive in. The water's lovely. I wouldn't worry about it. Mark, I'm going to um, read you a question now that's come from our live audience. This is from somebody who describes himself as Faisal from the Shires. Uh, and it's quite timely because um, he's asking, well, first of all, he's asking what's happened to comedy advertising, which you've, you've, you've touched on with Rack. Um, but he also wants to know why we hardly ever see it in online advertising. Would you agree with that? Well, do you know, I'm, believe it or not, despite that I'm getting on a bit, I'm, I'm probably online more than I am in, parked in front of a telly or reading a magazine. Um, I can't remember ever seeing an ad, an ad that's made me laugh. I've seen plenty of little clips that people have shared with each other that have made me laugh out loud, but I can't ever remember seeing an ad, any kind of ad targeted at me that's made me laugh. So but given that most online advertising that I'm aware of, because I'm the same as everyone else, you go on, on YouTube and you you're just looking in the bottom right-hand corner, skip adding four, three, two, one. I don't, I don't know what's going on up there. I'm too busy trying to look at the countdown. Three, two, one, skip. And um, I'm on Facebook all the time. I've never, I just filter out, you know, like a crying baby when you're on a, on a, um, a plane, you have to filter out the noise. So all of that visual noise that's on Facebook that I see, ads that are meant to be targeted at me, I've never really noticed any of them. Um, so whether they're funny or not, I haven't noticed. So I haven't noticed the serious ones. So it's news to me that none of them are meant to be funny. I just don't, I don't see them. Okay. Um, Bethan Caller, Bethan, uh, who's from the Seven Stars, she wants to talk to you about regrets. How long, how long you got? <laughs> um, so my question was, um, you talk in the book about, um, you know, never taking no for an answer. Um, but surely there must have been some times when clients, you know, didn't didn't like the ideas that you come up with. Um, so my question was really, what's you know, what's the one idea that you really wish you had pushed harder and you had not taken no for an answer? What's the you know creative idea that you still lie awake at night thinking, God, I really wish I'd actually been able to do that one. Well, good question, but there ain't one. There's not, there's not one. There's not one. And that's not because I, I haven't got my own way. You know, you push so far and believe it or not, I'm very diplomatic. You know, I'd, the first book that I'd recommend to anyone is my book. The second book is how to win friends and influence people. And I like to present any interesting concepts to clients. And by interesting, I mean challenging to use a modern word concept of clients in a, in a way that it feels like I psych myself up and I think I'm giving you a lovely present and I imagine this lovely gift wrap present I'm giving them rather than thinking about oh I want to get this through because it looked good on my showreel or win me an award or get me a pay rise or whatever you know so um, if a client really doesn't want the best option and sometimes if it's, if it's possible 
because I'm a director. I mean, my day job is directing, but uh, you know, I get invited to do um, traditional advertising too and come up with concepts and stuff. But if the client really doesn't want it, and they really don't want it, and I try try my persuasive best. Then I try to make what they want just as polished and as crafted as possible, and then I get on with the next job and forget that because. You know, sometimes you don't get your own way. Even I don't get my own way. In fact, most of the time. Um, and um, the next thing is just around the corner. So why, you know, I've done, I've done, I cannot moan. I've done all right. Why worry about anything in the past? I don't even think about, I don't even think about the times when I've got a great result. You know, I've done that. Let's do something new and exciting. That's an inspiring answer, Mark. Thank you. Um, Brian Miller, Brian from Paddle Consulting. You've got a, a technical question about imagery. Oh, well, uh, uh, I'm not sure it's that technical, but it's, it's oh, just... I'm glad you idea. said that. Technical? Uh, you've got, you're talking to the wrong man. Yeah. Oh, good. Well, no, I, I don't. I, I, yeah. So, well, we'll see. So, I really just wanted to, to ask, you know, like, it, it seems like an age of stock photography where an, an idea um, is presented to a client with you know an imagery um, which is sort of almost predetermined or kind of scrap footage or found footage and then there's a, a sort of sense of you know the, the 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 look and feel and the happy accidents and all of those kind of things um, are, are are kind of predetermined and I was, so my question is kind of what's the age where you're an amazing original image creator, both yourself and as a sort of commissioner of, of other people. And like, what, what's, what, what's, what's your role now in an age of um, kind of, you know, stock photography? Yeah, that's a bloody good question. What's my role now? Blimey. Um, I don't know if that's technical or not. No, no. It, it, no the, the <laughs> truth is, see, when I, you know, a million years ago, when I was an art director, and I was only an art director, I was only thinking about this the other day, I was only an art director for just over a decade. I wasn't actually, a, a, you know, a proper creative for that long. I was in the studio before that. I managed to get myself fired from my own agency, and then I became a director. And then I've been dabbling around with, you know, everything since. Uh, and of course, when I, you know, as a when I was a, an art director, I, I genuinely can't remember one in uh, time where I was asked to use a stock shot. You know, everything you do, almost everything you drew that got accepted by the client was a commission. You'd find a great illustrator, or you'd find a great photographer. And of course, you know, the internet age and Computers, because we didn't have computers back then. Um, computers are great. That's, I'm scratching my nose, by the way. That's, I'm not picking it. I just want to point that out to my viewers. Um, we've got instant access to loads of images. And we've got the technology to strap them together. So the layouts that are presented to clients look like the finished thing. So, of course, the average client might not, might not be thinking... Yeah, but I don't want that because we could have a fantastic original shot that no one's ever seen before. It would be much more dramatic than a stock shot 
and then no one else can uh, use that stock shot on another campaign ever again. It becomes ours. We're putting a bit of original stuff out into the world that is obviously going to dramatise the idea much better. They're not thinking like that. They, they probably look at it and think, yeah, that looks great. And they don't bother to continue the process. And for whatever reason, agencies must have, you know, clients haven't come to that conclusion by themselves. Agencies obviously early on haven't fought for the uh, concept of doing something really original. And have just gone along with the client and said, yeah, you can have that stock shot. That's going to cost you £1,000. You can have it for the next two years. Thank you very much. Next. So it's too easy to use stock imagery now. And uh, um, I can't remember the last campaign I saw with a great illustration on it. Um, very seldom see great uh, original photography now. It's a shame. You know, it's this fantastic tool that I got to play with, that the clients don't really want anymore. But, you know, my only idea, I was talking about ideas earlier, my only idea really is lead by example. So if I have a daft idea, I think I want to realise that. And I can't take photographs myself, so I'll get a great photographer like Joe Giacomet or Johnny Malarkey or Ollie Carver or, you know, any of my photography mates to join in. We, we make the image, put it out there, and sometimes that excites a creative in a way that they want to use us for, for their campaign. And that's the, only, that's the only idea I've got. That's the only idea I've ever got, really. Lead by example. You know, the client doesn't want it. Do it anyway. See what happens. And it does open a few doors. I'm going to, um, I'm going to ask Maria Evrenos now from Crowd to ask you her question, which is about the pandemic. Yeah, I think that leads quite well onto what you were saying, because I think it's really inspiring what you were saying about if you want to do something, you'd, you know, you, you get some friends together or, you know, you just you go for it, and you do for it. But obviously at the moment with COVID restrictions across most of Britain, how are you keeping that kind of enthusiasm and keeping pure out during these arguably uh, duller times? But it is bloody hard. It's, it's depressing at the moment. Isn't it? <laughs> I like. I did a talk. I, I really enjoyed it. I did a talk yesterday, so I did. A, so I'm still doing Zoom talks, and it's great. And it's a very appreciative audience. But um, it's not the same as going out and meeting people. And I really like going out and meeting people. And my whole input, in uh, output, I should say, not input. My whole output it relies on getting other creative people to join in. Mm. Left to my own devices in a room by myself and a bit of paper and come up with the idea and draw a dark picture. But I mm. can't make a silly tracksuit or or um, take a photograph. You know, I've got a bloody good idea of what I want things to look like, but I need other crafts people, creative people. Mm. I can't even write a book. So I've got yeah. my mate Paul Burke to turn my words into proper words. <laughs> you know, everything relies on the people I know so it's tougher uh, mm. during this these I think they call them unprecedented times <laughs> yeah. unprecedented times it's bloody hard but yeah. given that with, we're, you know, I, with Joe Giacometti I've created a, a funny little comedy zine mm. and we've all got, we've done that 
I haven't checked. I'm editing a film at the moment with my editor. And it's all, you know, you can do anything online now. So we are making stuff. It's just a bit harder. Mm. But the, the real, look, here's the real problem. Once you've made something, which is all part of the, you know, read the book and you'll, you'll see that my favourite formula is schoolboy idea, high-end finish, have a knees up afterwards. You yeah. can't have the knees up now. Yeah. So I'm desperate to do at least a couple of exhibitions mm. and get some comedy beer brewed. But you can't do that. So it'll have to wait. Thanks, Maria. That was a great question. Thanks for your answer, Mark. Um, now, Sahar Saddam from Hackmasters, who's having problems with his camera, which is why we can't see him. It's not that he's shy. Um, he's got a question for you about creative awards. Hi, Mark. Um, yeah. so the question is really simple. Do you think um, we would still have a creative industry if we remove the awards? God, you're good at art. You lot are bloody good at hard questions, aren't you? I've never thought about that before. Um, I've got this love-hate relationship with awards. I used to really like them. They were very handy in the old days. You won one, your wages went up. And a headhunter would ring up and, and you'd be offered another job. It doesn't work quite like that now. And there's tons of awards now. I think reading Dave Dye's blog the other day, um, and I'm going to get the figures wrong, but I'll make a load of figures up. I think one year... I think it was about 2005, something like that. They gave away about 15 pencils. And then last year, they gave away 375 pencils. To me, that devalues awards a little bit. So yeah. I think awards have been devalued. I think a lot more people win them now than used to. Um, it used to be more of an elite, an elite made up of the people doing the very best stuff. And now some relatively average stuff wins awards so i don't know you know i don't think i don't think advertising would suffer if we got rid of all awards it wouldn't it would probably get better um, and i just made that up i think it would get better because um again you know i've got i've got a little bit of a problem with stuff that's just um created for the award circuit and you get mm. some work, I'm, I'm sure you know, I don't need to tell you what it is, we all know what it is. Um, and some of what, you know, some awards are given to um, campaigns that really haven't had a lot of involvement with a proper client. So I, you know, I don't know how, how much value they are. I don't, advertising certainly wouldn't get any worse if awards disappeared. I think, I think I'm trying to think of what they, they, they're calling this, this concept COVID wise. It's like a circuit breaker or something like that. Wouldn't it be great to have a, uh, a year's lockdown on awards where we lock them all up for a year and then see what happens afterwards? That would be an interesting experiment. One thing's for sure, uh, and this is, this is the, what mainly the reason why I stopped entering awards, was they cost such a lot of money to enter. You know, I mean, when I had an agency, a small agency back in the early 90s, so it wasn't a big agency, it was a long time ago. Our awards budget was 60, 65 grand we used to spend on awards. That was a lot of money then. And um, you could actually make a lot of creative stuff. And if you were after um, supporting causes, think of the damage you could do with that sort of awards budget 
if you spent that on a good cause, yeah, like yeah. doing their marketing for them, now that would be bloody good, wouldn't it? I think you deserve an award for that. Yes. I'll take it. Where, where, where is it? I'll come along. Let's have a piss up. Now, Mark, I'm going to ask you, uh, well, I'm not. In fact, Karam Hussain from McCann Worldwide is going to ask you a question. And then you're going to do a reading for us from your, your lovely, heartwarming... Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. So, um, Karam... Um, You've got a, a, an excellent question for Mark about um, about how we how we let go of fear. Hi, Mark. Oh yeah. Just picking up on what you said, you being your own boss always used to push you. Um, how can somebody like me, who's not a CD, how can I push a CD or a client to go for the fun stuff, not have the fear of making themselves look silly? course i could buy a copy of your book for all of my cds or the clients that's, that's yeah a... do you know what that that would be useful it really would be useful <laughs> I, you know genuine, and e even if you bought a copy of the book and you read it and you thought it was crap because it's got my email address on it you could email me and say mark this is crap i want some personal advice i'll give it to you um because i you know i like i like you know that i like talking to people um but if you don't buy my book, I mentioned it earlier, and it's a, a, a very old-fashioned book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. You know, mm -hmm. what, you know what, what are you scared of? I woke up, look, here's the truth. This is between you and me. I don't know if we can mute the other people somehow, but it's you and me. I'm listening, everybody. I, I wake up terrified almost every morning. Terrified. And then I ignore the voices, and I just do the stuff I want to do. And it's as simple as that. And it's just, as you get older, more experience, it gets easier. And um, what are you worried about? What, what are the bosses going to say to you when you give, show them a silly idea? Oh, well, I've got ne never, never got a problem showing silly ideas. It's just that it never goes forward. Like the client said, well, it's, it's funny. I had a real laugh at it. Can't do it. Like, yes. Do you know what? If, if you've got a good relationship, and I don't know what that idea would be, you know, whether it was um, a a still for a poster or, or a, an online thing or it was a, a film. Talk to a lot of people, persuade other creative people to make you, help you make it, and then present the client with the finished thing and say, well, what do you think of that then? And they might say, that's bloody great, let's run it. And if they say, no, it's not really for us, find yourself another client who might like it, or just put it out there and put it on your showreel anyway. You know, you got you know every, it's, every, it's always worth a punt. And mm -hmm. by talking to the right people, if you've got a good idea, it's like pushing against an open door. It's very easy to get happy helpers to help you do stuff. Mark, that's a very uh, very inspiring. Thank you. Um, right, you're going to give you're going to do a reading from the book. Have you? Uh... Take a sip of cold tea first. Look. I'm nervous about this. You know, we were talking about fear earlier. The last time I read from a book, I think it was Form 4A, and it was Great Expectations, Charles Dickens. It's back in the 70s sometime. Um, so I've got to put my glasses on. I'll do my best on this, but um, here we are. It's the book, Unleash the Power of Purility. Now, if you've read the book, great. If you haven't read the book, 
Um, I just got to tell you, it's got loads of pictures in it, loads, tons of pictures. But it's also got a few words in it as well. And that's what I'm going to I'm going to read from a chapter that is called Being Rude Gets Results. Now, there's 13 chapters in all. This is the only rude chapter. So I don't want you to think that uh, all all of the chapters are like this. This is just one story because it's only about three minutes long. This is one story in Being Rude Gets Results. I'm telling you this because it's a mildly amusing story. So, oh, I just got to warn you, there is a swear word in the story. And um, I'm just going to, I'm going to read it as it's printed. And that is C asterisk NT, right? I don't know if you're good at spelling. Ask someone to fill in the asterisk for you. Uh, in fact, I'm going to, I'll tell you what, I don't know if this is going to work. I'm going to hold this up to the camera. Here's a picture of the poster that is, I'm going to be talking about. Right. Can you see that? Very fancy lettering with the word C asterisk NT on it. OK, so a fine example of strategically targeted filth was a poster I did for lettering artist Alison Carmichael. Alison was lamenting the fact that for the first time since she left college, her work had started to dry up. I said, leave it with me. I'll come up with some direct mail to change that. I thought, what about a beautiful realisation of the ugliest word in the English language? You know, the one that starts with a C and rhymes with Berkshire Hunt. Under it would be the line, words look much nicer when they're hand-lettered. I was nervous about showing it to Alison. What if she hated it? And me for suggesting it. Fortunately, my fears were groundless. She absolutely loved it. She also loved the idea of screen printing it on fancy paper. It worked a treat. And Alison was suddenly getting commissions from all over the world. The limited edition C asterisk NTS were also in great demand. I was told that someone even took one in to be framed. The frame room question took one look at it and instead of being offended, he said he'd frame it for free. And on one condition, could he have a copy to give it to his wife for their wedding anniversary? Even I was taken by surprise by the positive reaction. So with a newfound courage, we thought we'd take a punt and enter C asterisk NT for some awards. We held our breath and F asterisk CK me. It only went on and won a few. We held our breath. Oh, I just said that. Uh, it only went on and won a few. Emboldened by this, we entered it for the prestigious Design Week Awards. It was shortlisted, so off we went to their swanky do at Grosvenor House. With a title like that, we obviously didn't expect it to win. In fact, we thought it might even get booed. So to make the most of the occasion, I had a ginormous pink cake made with C asterisk NT ice on it for our table. To our shock and delight, it won again. The best bit was the rather snooty compare having to announce, and the winner is, you know the rest. Though some people might have thought she was referring to the bald bloke on his way up to the podium. Alison was then so busy that we never got round to completing the campaign. The next one up was meant to be Turd. 
Words are more polished when they're hand letters. To be followed by a wank. It's better when it's done by hand. That's it. Wow, I don't know how to follow that. In fact, I'm not going to. I'm going to ask um, Emma um, for you to ask Mark your next question, um, which is about budget. Yeah, so in your book, you share lots of examples of different work across uh, multiple different platforms, particularly in regards to kind of TV um, and outdoor print advertising, etc. Um, but with the advertising world at the moment heavily relying on the digital landscape, um, display advertising and social media, um, creativity seems um, to have been stunted by that. I mean, if we refer back to your answer to a previous question as well about not even noticing those social ads, um, this kind of gets into that. So how can we inspire creativity in those platforms, particularly when clients um, have a lot smaller budgets and feel like, Digital is their, their only way forward? Well, I mean, it's a good question, and it's actually relevant to a job I'm doing at the moment. And I'm getting more and more stuff that's only going to be seen online or on someone's phone. Um, so that's really interesting for me, even just thinking about different formats, you know, having something that's uh, like a vertical image rather than a horizontal one. Um, now, there's a big problem that I get at my end and it's a recurring problem, is that creatives write expensive ads with small budgets. And the answer is really bloody simple. Know what your budget is, know how far a budget, budget stretches, and then write something to the budget. And uh, you'll find that a lot, of the, a lot of the really great stuff that gets passed around by punters just because they think it's interesting enough I'm not talking about advertising, I'm talking about the stuff they entertain each other with. Now, a lot of that has been shot on their mobile phone. And it is, it is by its very nature, it's low budget. So you don't, don't think expensive. Think about how much money you've got to spend. And then um, you'll find, and I know this is obvious because everyone knows this, but you'll find that the better the idea is, so if a client is prepared to buy an absolutely fantastic idea, you'd be surprised at how many people with resources will want to be involved in it for much less than their day fee. The better the ad that you write, yeah. the more money, you, the more free money and time and skills you're going to get tossed into the pot. And no one wants, yeah, no one wants to shortchange themselves and take a cut in their salary for something that's average, something that won't be passed around, something that won't be talked about or sell the tin of baked beans that you're trying to flog. So it's a really interesting formula. Clients have only, you know, it's, it's easy. Just buy good work and you'll find you'll get a lot more money for your productions. And, but as a starting point, creatives, you know, it's a fact of life. This is a longer. I'm going to answer this quickly if I can. And this may relate to your question. I think it does. The conveyor belt that I was talking about earlier that I'm on, I'm still on it 45 years later, but it's a lot shorter than it used to be. There's more young people in the industry. And it feels like as soon as you get to your late 30s, there's a danger that you got that you might be the next one out. It's, it's a, a fact of life. Um, 
And so there's there's a lot of skills that are not being passed down to the new generation from experienced creatives, like how much things cost and how to write an ad on a budget when you've only got 10 grand or less. So it's easy, it's easy. Just better ads, know what things cost. Thank you, Mark. We're gonna take another question from our online audience. This is a really good one, you're gonna like this one, Mark. This is from John Harrison from One Black Bear. Never heard of him. One Black Bear in Birmingham. And this is what he's got to say. The book is full of brilliant visual one-liners and the level of finish is sublime. Have you always had the patience to deliver every detail to perfection from those early days in the 70s and 80s or even before? Or is it something you developed over your career? And do you enjoy the production as much as the initial spark? Lovely good question. Now, of course, I know John. I do know John. And uh, believe it or not, John, I'm not going to point it out myself. And I've invited people to point out mistakes in the book and get in touch with me directly. Uh, John pointed out a mistake in the book from a production point of view. Um, he's the only one who's done it. And uh, he was dead right. And it hurt <laughs> when he pointed it out. Um, I am interested in uh, the finish of things as well. Sometimes it's not required, but I like things to be have a, have a high-end finish or a really great low-end finish as well. So I like doing cheap stuff if the requirement is to make it look really cheap in a knowing way. You know, so that attention to detail um, is just something I've always liked doing, even as, even as a kid, even before I knew anything about the mechanics of advertising. You know, I'd make sure my trousers were immaculately pressed and the blakies and the soles of my shoes were symmetrically arranged. You know, it's just a personal obsession. I like, I like that attention to detail and stuff. And like I say, sometimes it's required, sometimes it ain't, but it always makes me feel a little bit, I get a nice warm feeling down my trouser leg when I've got everything lined up nicely. Thanks, Mark. Um, Rack, your second question. It's a great one. It's about, it's about business cards. Yeah, uh, you spoke about creating these cool business cards for your team and loving business cards in general, um, which I do as well. Like I have, I have loads in my wallet from people that uh, will never have any use to me, but it's nicely embossed, so they stay in my wallet. Um, without using the word digital, so no, no using the word digital. Yeah. You think you, uh, do you think an Instagram page or a website landing page can have the same effect as a as a business card? Yeah, well, obviously they're doing a slightly different job. Um, insofar as yeah, I think if you got if you got uh, a presence on Instagram or you've got um, any kind of landing page that as a creative, why not make it as good as it possibly can be? Mm -hmm. Now, the fact is, I still like the printed image because I'm getting on a bit and I've been around a long time. And, you know, I was brought up doing press ads and posters yeah. uh, and I still like things like business cards. But they really they really are doing a different a different job insofar as 
The problem I've got, he said, coughing <coughs> discreetly, the problem I've got with images on a computer screen is there they are, and one second later, there's a new one there. Uh, so, but things like a business card or a poster, they're just a little bit more permanent. Mm. And when you're out at a function, and um, it's surprising that nowadays, because everyone's got a mobile phone, no one needs business cards. They're, they're not required anymore, business cards, because all your information about your personal details on your mobile phone, you can swap information with someone you meet straight away. But if you hand them a business card, when no one else is using business cards, and I'm, I'm really pleased that you've got some, because they're very unfashionable. And I always ask people at functions, for their card. And I would say nine times out of 10, they haven't got one, they don't own one. And here we are in a communications industry. Uh, and I think if you've got a, a really great business card that is so precious that people want to keep it because it's got some kind of entertainment value, even if it is, say we're at an awards do, because I'll still go, if you and me do a bit a job together, we win an award, I'll come along and have a drink with you. You know, I'm not anti-awards. Uh, but if you wake up with a headache the next morning and you think, who did I talk to last night? But you've got this business card that you've kept. Then mm -hmm. the memory lingers on a little bit. So it does a, it does a different job. But I think wherever you present yourself as a creative, whether it's online or on a tracksuit or a piece of paper or the way that you walk into a room, why not put your stamp on it? You know, we're, we're paid lots of money to advertise other people's wares. Why do we not treat ourselves like a commodity? Because I wouldn't say the only reason why I started having tracksuits made with my name on them. But I thought, well, you know, if I go into a creative department, meeting a creative team, talking about a, a TV commercial, if someone in another glass office sees me from a distance and they say, oh, it's Mark over there, because they've seen that, We've got a script here. Maybe shall we put them on the list? You know, why not make your presence felt in every way? Business cards are just a great way of doing it. I like the idea of that, Mark. I can't remember what the question was, but hopefully that answered it. Mark, you're, you're uh, suggesting now that you're like you're like a walking business card. Yeah, I'm, a, I'm about as three dimensional as a, a, a walking business card. Right. So um, we've got about. 10 minutes left, and I've got another five questions that I want to squeeze in. Before. Oh, I'll try not to ramble then. Um, you, do, you do what you like at your pace. Um, and I'm going to throw them at you now. So, Bethan, um, you, you'd like to know where the bad ideas go. Yeah, so my, my question is, um, if you... If you think about like a creative idea or a creative concept, it's a combination of other things. So, you know, like the, the therapy idea in the book of the monkey and the Nelson hat. Where do you keep the concepts or the ideas that you haven't quite got around to using yet? Do you have a doodled comic book that you, you store them all in? Or if something's not right for the project you're working on, do you just throw it out and, you know, never come back to it? Now, if I've got a good idea, if I've got a good idea, I'll draw, I'll draw it. If I, I know it's a good idea if I'm drawn to draw it, draw it. You know, if it's not a good idea, I don't bother putting pen to paper generally. But if I, if I draw it, it means it's half decent. If I colour it in, 
it's a done deal. Once I've coloured it in, it's kind of got to be made somehow. Once I've gone to that degree of colouring it in, it's worth doing. And um, if I'm doing something for a client and it doesn't get bought, uh, and I like the concept, I, I will. I've got I've got a big file of my old drawings. They're lurking around. I've got some from the seventies. You know, I never chuck anything away. In fact, you know, it's in the book, but I, you know, I won't go into too much detail because we haven't got much time. But um, a big project that I've had a great success with, one of my biggest successes, international successes, with recently, was a concept that didn't get bought by a client 15 years ago. And I just did it two years ago and it's been a big hit for me. I never threw it away and it was 15 years old. So if it's good, you keep it. If it's good, you keep you, you walk around with it filed in your bonds anyway. But if I need the if I need the layout, I know where to get it. Thank you, Mark. Brian, um, you have a uh, you have a concern about purility. Um, oh, well, yeah, it's just another question is, is just, do you think it, purility is a bit of a boy's um, sort of medium? Do you think, uh, you know, it sort you of gets met, big? You haven't, big met my, you haven't met my missus, have you? <laughs> but it's, I mean, is she representative? Do, do you think that you get more eye rolls from women than laughs? No, my missus is sillier than I am. <laughs> She keeps doing these stupid dances, and I have to. I, uh, she gets the eye rolls from me. <laughs> no, do you know? Um, are you suggesting that women haven't got as good a uh, sense of humour as men? Or maybe like, a different not, sense of humour, because I mean, purity isn't the that, only kind of humour. That would be too dangerous to say that, <laughs> especially with my missus around. Um, no, do you know? I, you know, if, if you if you look at my book, you can see that I've enrolled a lot of ladies into my daft ideas, and. I didn't have to press gang them into it. You know, a lot of them joined in and had every bit as much fun as I did. So I, I don't know. I think schoolgirl humour is every bit as valid as schoolboy humour. You know, Will Ferrell. Do no women look at Will Ferrell films or Farrelly Brothers films or... No, I, you know, I don't think so. I, I don't think so. And don't, you know, don't get me wrong. I don't think everything relies on be, having a silly idea. I like stylish stuff. I like dramatic stuff. You know, I like anything that um, gets your, your pulse racing a little bit. And there's nothing like a good laugh to get the blood flowing. I choose that first. Thank you. Uh, Maria, your, uh, your second question for Mark. Yeah, so... Do you see any brands today that actually dare to harness this power of purity? Like, who do you kind of like look to that still kind of dare to maybe push the boundaries a bit? Well, it's great because um, despite the fact that I, I mourn the demise of the ad break that that on average would have contained a couple of funny ads in the old days. There's not half as many around now, but there's still some people doing funny stuff out there. I think Droga 5, not talking about any specific brands they got over there. They seem to be really good. They haven't forgotten how to make people laugh. Mm -hmm. And they haven't forgotten how powerful it is as a, uh, a tool to sell stuff and just to be memorable and to engage. You know, people talk about engagement. Make someone laugh, you've, they're engaged. So Droga 5 are still really good at that. Mother have been very good at keeping um, the comedy flag waving. So there are certain agencies that haven't forgotten how to do it. 
and occasionally get other people joining in the fun as well. But everything seems to have got just a little bit too worthy for my liking. And there's nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with worthy. But remember the comic relief thing. They're not always selling the good, the good calls by um, doing it in an entertaining way. Karam, um, you have another question for Mark. Yes, I do. Is there one particular medium that gives you the most joy to work with? Anyone? If I had to pick one, if all of, yeah, I'm a director. I'm a director, so I like doing TV, anything moving, whether it's online or it's on the telly. But if I could only pick one, it'd be posters. That's what I miss most. Uh, you know, like they say, the purest form of advertising. True. You know, single-minded idea, whether it's a great line, a great visual or a great line uh, married to a great visual, it's got to be the most succinct, perfect representation of that idea to work on a poster. Otherwise, it's too complicated. And I found poster ideas make the visual poster ideas make the very best 30 second commercials. Because if you just dramatize the single minded idea that works on a good poster, it makes a fantastic perfectly written 30 second commercial because most commercials are overwritten as we know so yeah posters please thank you mark right dave die we're going to ask you to ask the final question to mark and i'd encourage you actually of pressure to ask 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 your most pure of. um ask my most pure of. okay yep. well my most pure of was probably I mean it's an issue a lot of people have weighed in on I know David Ebert had very strong views on this and would never be swayed but what's funnier farts or bums farts definitely farts yeah if I'm just if I'm just gauged by the uh, the laughometer man at my place his farts seem to win every time my, my missus I'm not saying I, I mean obviously not me Farts on the telly, you know. If there's a fart in a film, my missus would be on the floor weeping with laughter. I, I, don't love, the way, way. I, I love the way there was no, there was like zero seconds thought. Fart. Well, as you, you know, weigh the two up. You just fart straight. I Everybody do, knows that. I do like a bum. There's no doubt about it. They are good. And if I was to do a bum count, I think there's, I think there's three in my book. Right. Is uh, one of them your? One of them's yours, isn't it? One of them is mine. I don't want to put anyone off, but um, uh, but of course, if you try and put a fart in printed form, it never works as well. Oh, it's bloody terrible. And now I just want to do one. Of, you know, look, those perfume ads that they do, where they got a bit of paper on them uh, with the perfume impregnated in it. I'm thinking, oh, there's got to be a good fart gag with that technology, isn't there? I think you're just the man to develop that one. Yeah, okay, we'll talk about that later. But, um, uh, yeah, farts, every time. Farts, yeah, you're very clear, very clear-minded. Mark Denton, Mark Denton, thank you so much for being our guest on Book Club this month and for talking about Unleash the Power of Purility. And thanks, of course, to all the readers who took part today. If you'd like to join us on one of these recordings, please do get in touch via our website.